0: Style Events. I'm Dennis Junk. With me as always is my lovely partner in crime, Alicia Pyle. Hey there. Today we're talking to Bob Bailey. He is the executive director of the Sweetwater Academy and he also he plays a pretty significant role in Gear Fest every year, which is a really major event for Sweetwater. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, well, let's talk about the Academy first. So you work with a lot of really great local musicians what's that like
1: it's wonderful actually the crew was pretty much assembled when i took it over you know we've added a couple of new instructors since i've been here but uh, it, it's really great uh, to be able to work with all of these great local musicians and they're all out out in the area doing gigs and stuff it's uh, so it's pretty cool
0: is it really heard? Some of them like prima donnas.
1: Like uh, you wouldn't be talking about anyone specifically, would you? I
2: asked them to ask you what it's like to herd cats because I figured that's what we'd be talking there's, about. There's there's
1: a certain element of that to it. Yeah, absolutely. It just depends on the day. You know, some days are better yeah. than others. It's a lot of organization. It's a lot of dealing with uh, you know personalities and
0: customers. All of that.
2: Yeah, and you know, it's a large amount of what you're doing too. Yeah. Well,
0: you guys are really familiar with the Academy and how it works. What, right. Give us a little bit of a rundown for people who may not know about Sweetwater Academy at all.
1: Well, primarily our bread and butter private lessons uh, that we do throughout the week. We're here Monday through Saturday. The Academy is open from 10 to 9 through the week and from 9 to 4 on Saturdays. And
0: you've got people teaching piano, guitar, vocals. Yep, whatever.
1: piano, guitar, vocals, bass, drums. We actually have a viol- one violin instructor, one that does cello. Uh, we have one trumpet instructor. Um, oh, we now. Okay. Yeah, a little. It's not. It's not our main focus. So I think we may see that changing as things go forward. Uh, there's some other things that we're working on, so we may see a little bit more of that. But we've got some
2: uh, software instructors too, right? We'll yeah. See.
1: Yeah, it I was actually going to talk about that. We teach. We have two uh, songwriting instructors that you can talk to about uh, learning the craft of. Of songwriting, and then we have uh, one instructor cool. who covers what we just loosely call technology, which is um, electronic music, recording, mixing, live sound, a little bit of DJ, things of that nature. So he can kind of cover all of those bases.
0: Cool, that's fun. It Do is guys, Ableton Live. <laughs> Do you guys take people at all stages, in all ages? Yeah.
1: Or? absolutely. We've got students starting from I think our youngest is probably about four, three or four years oh, old, wow. and our Oldest at last count was somewhere near ninety. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gave me
2: because it's one of my students. So. Yeah. I <laughs> know Eric Clancy has a couple of
1: those. He does too. Eric's got a couple. So I don't know how old is Doctor Cashman. He's Doctor
0: Cashman's in his eighties. Yeah. I think he's eighty-one or eighty-two. Yeah. So yeah. It's and fun. He's, he's dogged. He wants really yeah. to learn, so he's going for it. Do we still <laughs> do the awesome. early music classes and stuff, too? Or yeah, that's, that's we do. All? We
1: have uh, the Tiny Musicians early classes that are from zero to three, and they're group classes, and have the participation of the parents in them as well. That's cool. And it's a lot of fun. It's kind of an introduction to music. Uh, they get to bang on things and make noise yeah. and, and dance. Alicia's teasing and
0: about around Christmas time, and she's like, all day long I hear ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> ding. Ding, ding, ding. Well, tiny musicians <laughs> is a step
1: before that, even. Oh, so. uh, that. Yeah, jingle bells and furlies. Yeah. we do a lot of that. We're coming so,
0: back around to that season. So yes, we're gonna we are. do Halloween and Thanksgiving first. So, you've got a kind of a colorful history of music yourself. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about that. Wow. We only want to hear about the music. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. There's there some, well, <laughs> there, there some rabbit
1: holes we could go down that probably aren't pretty. But, um, uh gosh you
2: start playing i I don't even know that
1: yeah i started playing um guitar when i was about 12 years old was when i really first seriously picked it up i'd I'd always toyed with it before then when i was uh when i was very young i saw the beatles on television i I used to live with my grandmother and uh, she used to put on records at night we had a record player back in the back in the day when you actually had record players and you Mm -hmm. could stack like five of them on a on a Oh, yeah. turntable, and we'd go to bed at night and listen to that, and her music taste was all over the place. It was, we would have Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, and Jackie Gleason's Orchestra, and um, cool. Ramsey Lewis' trio, but then there'd also be the Beatles, and Johnny Cash and so it was kind of all over the place so I listened to a lot of different music when I was young and when I saw the Beatles I was convinced I was going to be a drummer Um, I used to draw pictures of drum sets and you know all this stuff and I was going to be a drummer I was dead set that I was going to be a drummer Well, you have to wait until you're in fifth grade in order to be in drum lessons. First day of school, fifth grade, I was ready to go, man. I was like, (laughs) yes, I get to play drums. I go in, and they give me these two gigantic clubs. I mean, these things are like humongous. They're two A's or two B's, whatever the big sticks are. They're humongous. They're like clubs. And I got this little piece of wood with a rubber hockey puck in the the center and this book full of dots and lines. And I'm going... (laughs) this isn't a drum. The reason why I wanted to play drums is because of the way they sounded. So I'm sitting there doing this and I'm going, oh man, this is a bummer. This is awful. This is no fun. Coincidentally, a friend down the street had just gotten an electric guitar, some no-name, cheap, awful thing with a a little no-name tube amp, but he got this Glorious little box that he put between it. It was a little orange plastic thing that I found out later was a K fuzz box. And apparently, K made fuzz boxes. It was a plastic, cheap thing. Mm-hmm. But when you turn this thing on and you learned how to do the one five bar chord, the two note bar chord, and you hit that thing, it went, <laughs> And I was hooked. I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is cool.
0: You just immediately went into Are you ready to rock? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so that That's was what he m- says at the beginning of Rock Camp. Yeah, <laughs> that was that
1: was my first kind of experience with it and I had an uncle that lived across the street who had been a bass player in a band and he and I started hanging out and playing stuff here and there and I put my first band together when I was about 12 years old as a bass player because it was a way to do it quickly you know I didn't have to learn all of the chords and all that stuff and we wrote original material and just you know we had no idea how bad we were We were like one of the first (laughs) punk bands (laughs) before punk was cool back in the the really early 70s and uh, did that for a while it was uh, it was crazy and about the time I was 16 years old Somehow, and I don't even remember how I found out about this, word of mouth. I mean, that was obviously before the internet or bulletin boards or any of that stuff. I heard about a band that was looking for a bass player. Mm -hmm. That was like some guys who had been in some local bands. You were 16 about this time? I was 16, and uh, they were all in their 20s. They were all 22, 24. I think the oldest one was about 26 at the time. And uh, for some reason, I got asked to audition for the band as a bass player and i got hired i obviously did it well enough that they thought i could do this the band was primarily a southern rock band mm-hmm. um, playing cover tunes and stuff so I did a lot of skinnered and outlaws and this that and the other gosh within a couple of months i did my first professional real professional gig wow. in a bar at 16 in fact <laughs> i was really too young to be in there that was and the then
0: yes. it really wasn't
1: then. but i <laughs> i managed to Fake my way into it. If you uh, don't
0: screw up, you might get arrested. <laughs> pretty much. Well
1: that's one of the other side stories that you know we probably shouldn't go down. Um, if you saw my eighth grade school picture, I had a mustache at that point. So I kind of pulled it off. People didn't ask me how old I was, they just assumed I was oh, old enough gosh, to get into the place. Grade? Was yeah. Early bloom. <laughs> yeah, in eighth grade I had a full mustache. It was yeah, it was
2: ready crazy. proof of this later. <laughs>
1: I think I still have the picture around someplace. Awesome. My wife loves it. She <laughs> thinks it's funny. So, yeah, that was my start into it. Played with those guys uh, all over the place. Uh, Where was this at? Where were you Indianapolis. In this was, okay. uh, so you grew up in Indy? Yeah, grew up in Indianapolis, and there was a biker couple of biker bars there that we played all the time so I got a real quick education on <laughs> life and you don't really learn that shy. stuff
0: in high school yeah. all the time. Yeah
1: I've learned a lot, you know. The,
0: college for that. <laughs>
1: well the outlaws hung out at the oak and the Sons of Silence hung out at the Bell 40 and we were one of like two or three bands that were allowed to play both clubs because oh, these guys okay. were at war with each other. Yeah. And wow. um yeah you learn a lot just <laughs> hanging around these guys. It was kind of scary. Girl loved it. <laughs> oh she uh yeah she hated it. Um actually my grandmother passed away that by then but I was li- I was living with my aunt at that point and she was just like really <laughs> but uh, you find something safer to do <laughs> yeah I was I was dead set I was gonna do it that was it I was convinced I was gonna be a musician I'd been bitten by the bug by then and it was crazy so that I played around with these guys until I was and or variations of it and doing this that and the other until I was about 21 years old 20 yeah I just turned 21 and had as anyone who's been a professional musician knows you take a lot of side gigs you know so you do a lot of stuff on the side to make a living and uh, I'd gotten into sales started selling lawn care over the phone and went into the car business I guess I should back up before I tell you this part of the story right after I would started that first band I was 14 years old Mm -hmm. and was living on the west side of Indianapolis and I went into a club at 30th and Lafayette Road it was an under 21 club and there was a band in there that I had never seen before And these guys were amazing. If I hadn't sealed the deal by then, it was done. I, I walked into this club, and this band had been signed to Terry Knight, who was the manager for Grand Funk. And the deal went south, and they couldn't do anything for five years. They were under a five-year contract, so they were playing clubs, doing anything that they could. And this band was just amazing. These guys were, like, unbelievable. And it was a group, they were going by the name Faith at that point. It was the Faith Band. And just amazing. I mean, I walked in there, and I saw this band doing a version of Six Days on the Road, and I was just knocked out. I'd never seen anything like this. These guys were pros. I mean, they were serious pros playing at an under-21 club. And I, at that point, I decided, that is what I'm doing. That is that absolutely Absolutely, it. Really I was thunderstruck, man. <laughs> it was yeah. just, and if you'd ever seen these guys in their heyday, it yeah. was amazing. They were really good. They went on to uh, sign with Mercury Records, did five albums with mm-hmm. them. The singer wrote a song called "Put on Your Dancing Shoes" that was a hit. Nigel Olson covered it, and it went top thirty. Made a lot of money, and they got signed to Mercury, and that's a whole other story. They they had a whole. Mess of bad deals that, that went down, but the band was always amazing. Makes you
0: wonder how many awesome bands we never hear, never hear of. Yeah, some some deal went south or something happened like that.
1: Well, anyone from Indianapolis knew who these guys were. You know, they were they were kind of a big deal down there. So I ended up meeting uh, the singer and the bass player, especially in that band. But I became friends with the guys simply because I kept following them around all the gigs, and I wouldn't stop bugging them. This fourteen-year-old like, <laughs> kid, going you hey, some, hey you guys are good, man. know <laughs> <laughs> <get I said, laughs> <done>. you? <laughs> <laughs> That came later. I actually ended up playing in a band with uh, their singer for fifteen years um, cool. in Indianapolis. So, it was, uh, awesome. and in Los Angeles, we were roommates in LA, and you know, I, as I got older, we... but that was why I wanted to stop and go back is because the car business thing. I was working there uh, in Indianapolis, and the uh, general manager got a gig in Palm Springs, California, and he left. And when he left, I was kind of in between bands and doing the car gig, and I said, yeah, "Once you get to California, if you need anybody, call me." And he goes, ah, "I'm not gonna." Need anybody, you know? So he, uh, he was there two weeks and called me. <laughs> <laughs> Were you serious about coming to California? Yeah, I said, absolutely. With yeah. <laughs> uh, the first place was Palm Springs. He, oh, nice. The the gig was in Palm Springs, and so I left and went. Spent six months in Palm Springs. This is in January of whatever early '80s, sometime. Spent six months there. He ended up getting fired from the car dealership, and then in Palm Springs in the summer, nothing happens. It's they have to let people go. So yeah. guess who was the next one? Me. Aww. So I was faced with a choice of either going back to Indianapolis or going to L.A. A guy, the guy who was my roommate at the time, his sister had a, a condo in Redondo Beach and was looking for a third roommate. It was a three-bedroom condo, and he said she'd been over. I'd met her a couple of times, and, you know, purely platonic. It was just, you know, we were just friends, and that mm-hmm. was it. And She said, well, why don't you come over and spend a week in L.A.? What's the worst that can happen? You go home. Yeah, you got a point. Why not? So I did. You
0: could be out a lot of money for staying a week in L.A. <laughs> yeah. I
1: didn't know that at the time. I was, was, was kind of young on, and, and like, well, eh, you know, I didn't know. <laughs> so I I went to L.A. for a week and had a job in two days working at a car dealership. And this band, this friend of mine who was in the band that I was telling you about earlier, Faith, had gone to L.A. that September before I had moved to California. And him and the bass player and a couple of other guys, they put a new band together. It was called Moviola at the time. And they were... Had moved to California trying to get a record deal and salvage the ashes of what was faith they'd broken up. So I asked her, I said, What's there to do around here? I said, A friend of mine moved out here and I'd like to run into him if I can. She goes, Oh man, this place is so big and everybody's down in Hollywood and you'll never, probably never find him. And I said, Well, what's there to do around here? And she said, There's this great bar and restaurant called Beach Bum Burt's down here in King Harbor in Redondo Beach. Anybody who's from California, if you're listening to this back in the day, you will it's now the. Uh, Cheesecake Factory in King Harbor. So, gorgeous place, man. It had this great two-story bar that the roof mm-hmm. rolled back, and you were right in King Harbor, and you could see the boats out there oh, and wow. everything. It was awesome. Great place. And I said, well, yeah, let's, sure, let's go down and check it out. So we go down there, walk in, and I kid you not, the name on the drum head, Moviola. It was my friend's band. <laughs> they were playing it at Beach Bum in Redondo, and I'm like, you're not going to believe this. So I ran into those guys out there. It was really kind of... Just weird. And Carl even said later, I was talking to the singer in the band. I said, what did you think? He said, I saw you sitting there and thought, oh, hey, Bob's here. What the hell? (laughs) What's he doing here? We're in California. This is, you know, it didn't compute at first. We ended up becoming even better friends because, you know, we're transplants out there, both from Indiana. And ended up being roommates. And then that band got signed to a record deal in England and put out an album called Blinding Tears and he went to England to record the record. It was it had the dubious honor of being the last record that Reva Records ever put out because the guy who owned Reva was being sued by John Mellencamp and Rod Stewart at the time, so that whole wow. thing fell apart. Again, another bad deal that these guys yeah. got into. They got into a lot of really bad business deals, <laughs> and it fell apart, and Carl and I were roommates in LA, and Reva Records is calling like every day, going, hey, we need to salvage something with this, and he's putting me on the phone with him, going, tell him to shut up and quit calling. <laughs> it's like, didn't want to do it, so we put a little band together out there just to a trio him and i and a keyboard player with a drum machine and keyboard player playing left-handed bass and got a house gig in um, in seal beach at a place wow. called the rum runner it was gorgeous i love seal beach yeah
2: we used to go there all the time as a kid yeah that's crazy
1: it's it's great. We had a blast down there. We played there for two years and just we owned that. the place. It was you know, the main street. In the 90s, Seal Beach? On PCH, right on. <laughs> Man, it was right on out PCH. There with
2: my dad. He worked for a car stereo company out there at that time.
1: Yeah, it was probably out there at the same time. This was probably eighty five, eighty six, somewhere. Oh, no, in there. I was born Maybe eighty seven. Maybe eighty seven. Well, I, I left Southern California in ninety two. Okay. So it was during Seal that Beach time. is neat, though. Yeah. yeah, let me think. I was 26, 27, So it would have been yeah 88 okay yeah somewhere around there so yeah you were around I was around yeah. Yes. so you stayed but, in
0: the, the car business and then the, the music business by
1: this time I was out of the car business and had gotten into I was working at a music store and playing music again full time um, when I was in LA I was playing with about five or six different pickup bands that just you know you would throw something together and go do something and that's really where I developed my ear. I, I learned to play by ear. I didn't really ever take music lessons because they wouldn't teach me the way I wanted to be taught. I didn't want to learn Mel You'd Bay method. And
0: and yeah. The and you saw you know, and, I want
1: to and play guitar. Fun. It's like, teach me. And they'd go, okay, well, here's your book. Here's Mel Bay book one. And I go, what I don't care this? about these songs. <laughs> They're awful. Yeah. Teach me something that, you know, yeah. yeah. And back in that time, they wouldn't. And that's one of the things that I've done here at the academy. Is as you know, you know we've talked about this. I don't care what kind of music you teach the kids, man. Teach them, yeah. give them a good music education. Mm-hmm. Teach them to read, you know. Give them the, the basics and the fundamentals that it I didn't what they're playing. get. Right. It mm-hmm. doesn't. It and too many people were too hung up on that back in my day when I was younger. You know, you had this is the only way. There's only one method, it's one true. path, and that was it. And I'm it's like, no, no, no. Don't do that. So I was the guy who didn't do that, but I developed a really good ear because of it and learned how to improvise and do all of these things because I didn't. So in these pickup bands, it was really easy to do because I could listen to something a couple times and jump in and probably get through it without yeah, you know, train wrecking it too bad. So I did that. That all ran its course. I, I ended up deciding to move back to Indiana in the early 90s. Uh, Carl, the singer, had already moved back. I had gotten married. That whole thing fell apart. It was a mess. I got married for all the wrong reasons, and so it only lasted about a year and a half. Imploded. You left <laughs> so everything in L.A. It I did came back to the Midwest. Pretty much did. I, I just went. You know what? I got to get Midwest out of here. Is best. I had to, and it was it was actually one of the best decisions in my life. So it's a
2: good place to live.
1: Yeah. And what uh, what drove it is Carl called me up one day and said, "Hey." My guitar player left my band, man. You ever have any interest in moving back to Indiana? And I'm like, no, I'm in L.A., man. I'm not gonna go back to Indiana. I'm like, you know, totally California guy now and everything. And about three weeks later, I'm sitting there thinking and going, why am I even here? This is crazy. Yeah. So I moved back to uh, to Indiana and called him up and said, hey, you still looking for a guitar player? He goes, no, I hired somebody.
0: yeah <laughs> like, eh, great. But welcome back. So yeah, but welcome back.
1: I'm, so I got a job in a music store, obviously, you know, easy thing for a guitar player to do. Got a job in a music store, and about a week later, the phone rings, and he goes, Oh, man, guitar player quit. Can you do a gig Saturday? And I went, Yeah, sure. What what stuff? And he goes, Yeah, oh, a lot of the same stuff we did in the band in L.A. And I'm like, Okay, great. You know, I already know most of that stuff. He goes, You're going to love this drummer and bass player I've got. Man, these guys are phenomenal. Okay, Sure. So where's the gig? It's at this place in Muncie. You show up there. Uh, here's you know all the all the specifics, and I'll see you there. Literally, we did not no rehearsal, nothing. Mm-hmm. Show up, mm-hmm. play. Okay,
0: did you meet each other or
1: anything? I, yeah, I, I hadn't met the band, but I knew him and I knew hear? the stuff, yeah. and it was like, okay, if it's the same stuff you've been playing, this shouldn't be too tough. We should be able to get through it, and it was. There were a few new songs, but again, I'd been doing this. I've been sitting in the bands and just jumping in and going. So nothing new. I show up. And this guy shows up with this kind of poodle haircut and these big, giant wire rim glasses. And he's got this set of drums that looks like they've been rolling around in a truck for 30 years because they've been <laughs> rolling around in a truck for most of 30 years without cases on them. I mean, they were just bashed, beat to hell. He's got a, a headphone amp and a, this big Dr. Beat and these old taped up. You remember the cost Pro 4A headphones, the old ones from the 70s, you know, the big, like, beige ones? He had those with the coil cord on him, And I'm going, good, great. This is the drummer this guy's talking about? Is this good? Okay. And the bass player shows up, and he's, he's a sweetheart, man. He's, hey, man, how you doing? Good to meet you, man. And it was Dane Clark and Randy Melson. I, I know you know them. The, these guys were doing all of the Bob and Tom stuff. Wow. They had played on every Ray Boltz record. They were doing all the session work in Indianapolis. These guys were like first call session guys, and, and really were that good. And Dane gets this thing set up and turns on the Dr. Beat, and it is so loud that the only thing you can hear is beep boop, beep boop, beep beep boop, at the back of the room. <laughs> he's got earplugs in and he can't hear anything and he's playing like he's playing in Market Square Arena, you know, you know the, the some huge stadium just killing it. But man, he was amazing. He was right, that rhythm section was incredible. So I fell into that band and I ended up playing with those guys off and on for about 15 years. Okay, and that's
2: the band you always talk about, an indie that you played with. Yeah, cool. that's
1: yeah, that was the one that I got in with those guys, and then started doing some stuff with Bob and Tom wow. um, because of that. And I did yeah. a couple, two or three live days, uh, maybe more as it went on. But it was back when they did live day, and it was live. I mean, it really was. Mm-hmm. We were literally like writing commercials in one of the offices and working out <laughs> vocal harmonies and running into the studio yeah. right just in the nick of time to get on the air and sing the parts and do all this stuff and, and play it. It was kind of crazy, but uh, this
2: one's super fun and. Enjoyable.
1: Though. Oh, it was. Yeah. It, it was just amazing. And the only reason why I got called for this stuff was because these guys were in with all of these people already.
2: Sure. Um, and they liked you. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and and the,
1: doing. the way I worked into doing session work was Carl got called to do session work all the time. And I'd been singing with him for years at this point. I mean, we'd done a couple of years in L.A. together and I was always singing harmony and background parts with him. Still a little bit of lead vocals, but not a ton.
2: Which, by the way, we haven't talked about this, but Bob sings phenomenally. I know he's talked a lot about guitar, but my favorite thing that you do is your your singing voice. Thank you. I like guitar, but like, first time I heard you sing, I was like, jeez. This is awesome. I think one of our first dates too was out to see you guys Mm -hmm. at the guest house. Yeah. Love Bob's singing voice. Go see him sing.
0: Thank my, you. My mom loves your band, too. Oh, God. Fun. His Thanks. mom is obsessed with your band. <laughs> She's your always band. Like, are you coming to see it tonight? Are you coming with us? <laughs> no, sorry, go She's got go another go show for us. Yes. can go both. <laughs> That's awesome. She
2: comes to see you instead of me.
0: <laughs> wow, it's true. She actually has yes. a couple of them. No, it is really, it's totally true. Couple. But carry on. Well,
1: it, yeah, it's interesting. I, I do get more calls for my voice than I do for guitar playing. I mean, guitar players Maybe are a dime both, a dozen. You know, yeah. it, it's it's true. I mean, the old joke of how do you find a guitar player in in Nashville? Excuse me, waiter. You know that's yeah. <laughs> how you find a ad guitar player. We're, we're a dime You're a, a piano player in New York. That's it, mean. <laughs> true. It sucks, it's, it's
2: true. It But it's true. It really is. There are yeah. yeah.
1: tons of them that are tending bar and waiting tables and stuff because there's so many of us. So you need to have something else in your quiver that's going to get you the gig. And for me, it was always my voice. So the fact that I sang and I could double off on bass or a little bit of piano or you know just enough that I can do that. So like when we're doing rock camp with the sure. kids, I'm always I stress yeah. on them. You know, mm-hmm. sing. If you don't do anything else, try to sing. Everybody should sing. It makes you a better musician too. It makes you more sensitive to the music and what's going on. So I'm really big on vocals. But I started getting calls to do session work initially for voiceover because I have that big booming radio voice. That was something I was going to go into at one point before I became interested in music I thought being a DJ would be something cool and I realized the reason why I was interested in that was because of the music so I just mm-hmm. ditched that and started playing forever. music but yeah. I got a call to do some voiceover work and then Carl used to get called to do sessions all the time for commercials and things but he's one of these guys that can only sing something one way that's it there is no other way once he gets it in his head Forget it. You can't get him to sing it any different way. So he got frustrated and just said, "Hey, call my guitar player. He sings just like me. He can sing higher than me. He can, he can sing it any way you want him to sing it. Mm-hmm. So just call him." And I started getting calls to do vocals on commercials and things down there, and that was going well. I did a few things. We did a national spot for Xerox Financial. It was on like an MTV ad and cool. uh, Elder Beerman Department Stores when they were still open up here. You know, I did. Did the Rock guy for that mm-hmm. that commercial and uh, <laughs> it was it Sounds was a like lot of fun. fun. I've I've done a ton of commercials. I mean, if you look at the resume, it looks like wow, that's a lot of stuff. And it really didn't amount to much. So, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was educational. It's and, good experience. And a, yeah. Absolutely. A
2: lot of times, the stuff that doesn't even pay the most is the most education. No.
1: It is, yeah.
2: You know, Or the most fun. (laughs) So
1: doing vocals, I didn't really have to worry about reading or anything like that. And um, one afternoon, we're doing a session, and I'm up doing vocals on it. And uh, the guy who's producing it goes, hey, Sandy Williams, who was the first call guitar player down there, he was doing all this stuff. He's Sandy can't do this thing next week. Could you come in and play on it? And I went, yeah, sure. Dane and Randy are going. They're looking at me like, uh, uh, <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> you you don't know how to read, man. These you know. Oh, okay. So they knew that you know I had absolutely no reading chops, and I was too stupid to realize that you know I was getting in over my head. So they uh, fortunately had pity on me, and Randy took me aside and said, "Man, you can't read, can you?" I said, "No." And he goes, well, "Let me help you out here," and he kind of sat me down with couple of charts, and said, okay, here's bar line, and, and here's, you know, basic rhythm, here's a quarter note, and a half note, whole note, and here's a rest, and what these rests are, and There's here's course. what an anticipation looks like, you know, so I knew what all the terms were. I'd, I'd learned music theory sure. and stuff just from...
2: Practical use, though. Pra- yeah, yeah exactly, but I was know. I was
1: a functionally illiterate musician at that point. I could play the stuff. I knew what the difference between a quarter and a half, an eighth note, all that stuff. I knew divisions, and I could talk about it and play it, but I couldn't read it, you know. It was mm-hmm. completely functionally illiterate, So they they got me to the point where I could at least kind of get through stuff. And if there was an actual melody line that needed to be played, I knew the piano players in town. I just said, hey, play that for me.
0: <laughs> and
1: my ears were good enough. Yeah, that I got it. Yeah. Okay, a couple of times yeah. through it, I got it. And I just put lick there. And, you know, I knew what it was. And I'd play it and got through it somehow. But that's my biggest regret is not learning to read when I was younger. You know, I but I bet you've
2: picked up things here and there, though, as so you've, you know, you worked on it.
1: I have. Um, do you make
2: yourself do something that's comfortable? I do it all yeah. the time and it's embarrassing because I'm a professional in some areas, but there's other areas I suck at and it's like, you know, I'm always trying to do things I suck at to get better at them.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so
0: Just not in public.
2: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, sometimes it turns out what the get calls for. It, so. <laughs>
1: Fake it till you make it, man. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I you do. Have
2: to help someone with something, especially like, like that, where they called you, you know, hey, can yeah. you do this? You yeah. Try it. Yeah.
1: Um, I was talking with Michael O'Mardian, who was here for GearFest, about that very thing, and he said, "You know what?" He said, "I never said no to anything coming up." You look at his credits, and they're like, "My goodness!" I mean, they're incredibly long. He's played on everything. He played, he, and specifically, we were talking about accordion on Piano Man. He played accordion on Piano Man.
2: Oh, neat! Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And he
1: goes, I, "They came to me and said, 'Hey, you play accordion?'" He goes, "Sure." He said, "I never picked up an accordion in my life. I had no idea, so I went and got an accordion.
0: I do figured
1: it out. You know, (laughs) made it up as I went along. So it's and that was kind of what I did. But kids, if you're listening to this, learn how to read now while you can, while it's easy." and yes, to answer your question, yes, I do. I, I constantly push myself in other directions. That, it's
2: hard when you get to be an adult, though, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. And it's frustrating. And, you know, you talked about that when you said not doing it in public. Mm-hmm. I feel sorry for the kids coming up now. I really do. There is no place to hide and go suck anymore. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> when I was 16 years old and playing in this band, the only people that knew that I was totally out of my mind for even trying to do this were the people who were there that night.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And now you got cell phones oh, and...
1: Every, every gig yeah. I do, everybody's holding up their phones and videotaping, and the videos are out yeah. on social media and everything. And these poor kids are coming up now, man. They're just trying gotcha. to find themselves. And it's like, where do you go to suck and actually, and it's okay, and you yeah. get better. You know, we all started off terrible. I've got tapes of some stuff that I did when I was really, really a young kid, and I can't stand to listen to it. It's so <laughs> terrible. It's awful.
0: <laughs> But, but the
2: flip side of that is people can get their music out now though. Like these yeah. kids can get a gig a lot faster and they true. can get recognized sooner. So it's tough. It's a it twenty two.
1: It is. I just you get good I feel feedback. Maybe,
0: no. I mean you can watch yourself and see how bad you are. That
1: is the one you have immediate feedback, you know. I remember the first time I heard myself on tape, I went, Oh my god, I don't sound anything like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's there's really, some things I
0: need to work on. It's eye
1: opening, you know, and that was just audio tape, and now they have the whole thing. Oh wow, don't stand like that, don't move that way. Ooh boy, you look really stupid when you do that, you know. And <laughs> I and I know this because I say the same thing about myself now. <laughs> yeah. People are posting videos, and I'm going, Oh man, why do, I look so stiff? Why why am I doing that? Well,
0: so. so it's interesting. I mean, you, you kind of started saying, and Eric Clancy brought this up too, where not everybody's going to learn the same way. Not everybody's mm-hmm. going to have the same strengths. Absolutely. And you don't care when they come in here, like what type of music they do. And you, do you necessarily care if they even read? But now you're kind of stressing the importance of reading. Yes.
2: I think so, we're all trying to get our students to read here.
0: Yes. Yeah, definitely.
2: Right? But not everyone does that comes in.
1: Right. So you're going to have people that they really don't care about that. All they want to do is learn songs, they mm-hmm. want to learn to play songs and go play around the campfire. And that's really the extent of. It. But if you, for a moment, even remotely think that you want to do this for a career, you have to learn to read. There are fundamentals that you have to just do. basic literacy. Mm-hmm. Yes,
0: yeah.
2: It's like what we're doing. And that's for kind you. of a
0: message you you yes. let everybody know. If you just want to play guitar around the campfire, here's yeah. what we can do: Well you learn some songs, learn some Beach Boys. Yeah. Or you wait till they like, catch
2: the bug with that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to go farther, you I have get to no, get <laughs> <him. No. laughs> them. Slap them in the back of the head. Rudiments. Rudiments. Shove their face into the book with
1: musical <laughs> notation. <laughs> You will become literate if it's the last thing I do. No, it's, it is. It's It's great. And I've worked on it since then and especially since I've joined the All-Stars. You know, it's a nine-piece horn band that does old school R&B and man charts are mandatory for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we first started that band about three years ago, I, st- I hadn't done it in a while. I got to a point when I was doing all of the session work and everything, where well, I got pretty good at it, I could read through a chart and you know find my way, no problem. And then I didn't do it for a long time. I, you know, it's one of those skills that if you don't do it, you kind of lose it. So by the time I came back to it and they were handing out charts, I was a little, a little rusty because mm-hmm. I had to knock off the rust. Now we do it so regularly, sure. And I see charts yeah, that no now big deal. Yeah, somebody puts a chart in mm-hmm. front of me. I'm like, yeah, okay, yep, I can get through it. Yeah, there, and I'll you know I'll read it down before I actually start playing it and mm-hmm. make notes if I need to about where things are. And, okay, great, let's go get through it it's good business. it's a road
2: map yeah. sometimes too mm-hmm. even if you're in a band and you're not reading actual notation right. it can be like for listeners that are not musicians it's a road map that helps you follow where you're going mm-hmm. so like here's a chorus here's a verse here's the solo section that right. could be as many times as we want to go through it so they then, might also know.
0: be listening kind of sure. intuiting where they're going to go and next you make anyway, notes. You know, this is just first singer comes
2: back in here guidepost
0: or... along the way yeah yeah so it's
2: kind of like a map too
0: so where does Sweetwater come into the story? Wow. how okay. had you so get roped in here? That was when I was playing in, in
1: Indianapolis with that band. Mm-hmm. Actually, right when I first moved back, it even goes back to that point, early 90s, uh, while I was playing with this band, uh, there was a rep named Bill McDaniel who came mm-hmm. into the music store that I worked at. And he was working for Godan Guitars, Seagull Guitars, and Digitech who made guitar effects processors, mm-hmm. and, and they got bought out by a company called Harman. <laughs> You're very familiar <laughs> with, I aren't bought you? bought
2: out my family's company. Yay! Yeah, Harman
1: buys stuff. It's what Go they do. Harman. So, yeah, we like Harman and my family. Like Harman. So Harman bought Digitech. Part of that was Soundcraft mixing consoles. So Soundcraft put out a, a mixing console that was kind of an MI mixing console for MI music instrument. Mm-hmm. It's sort of you know, what we do. Not their pro stuff and they gave it to the Digitech reps. Bill McDaniel knew nothing about mixing consoles, nothing at all. And now
2: explain what a mixing console is for someone that's listening. I'm yeah. sorry.
1: Yeah, mixing console is the thing that you see the guy out in front of the band with this big board with all these hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds of knobs and sliders on it. It's like the thing we were looking at in the The Purdue board World essentially. Day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and what he's doing is he's controlling the tonality and volume level of all of the instruments and vocals on the stage. So that's what that mm-hmm. person is doing in a live situation. So whatever. it's the thing
0: that Alicia has on her iPad now. That exactly. <laughs> Thanks to Bob, we set us yes. up with the Behringer setup. It is uh, it is amazing now
1: how it's progressed it's all digital back in this Mm -hmm. day it was everything was analog but one of the first digital consoles was from soundcraft spirit and it was a, a 328 digital console and bill was the rep in the area and sweetwater was one of his customers and sweetwater is obviously the prime dealer for something like new technology like that even at that point in the early 90s so he said hey you have a background in pro audio which i had one of the things one of the many things that I did to make money as I was playing guitar and doing all this stuff was I started running sound for people. I did front of house, did monitors, did recording. I actually owned a recording studio with another guy in Los Angeles for a while. Mm-hmm. And so I was always into it. I was always taking stuff apart, trying to figure out how it works and stuff. And I got into the technology end of it. So did commercial installs when I was in Los Angeles and things like that, put PA systems in clubs and helped them design systems. So I had a background in pro audio and I kinda knew it's
0: cool. Was going on.
1: Yeah. Like I said, did a lot of stuff to make money because you don't mm-hmm. always get called for guitar or vocals, so you got to yeah. be able to do other
0: stuff. And, that's uh, a theme that keeps coming up in all of right. these podcast interviews. Is <laughs> yeah, you don't make you, you don't make a living just playing music. You <laughs> have to do a lot of stuff. You got to wear if, a lot of hats. In
1: fact, that's how I got the house gig at uh, the place in Seal Beach. He came into the store looking for a PA system for his club, and I said, sure. "Oh, what are you going to do?" And he said, "Well, I'm planning on having bands in there, but we really haven't thought about what to do." I said, "I've got a Here's band for number, oh, guy." <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> That's how I got in there. But yeah, so he asked me if I'd be comfortable talking about a digital consult to some people who were really knowledgeable. I said, well, yeah, as long as I can get the information about it, I'm fine with that. And he said, okay, great. He said, there's a place in Fort Wayne called Sweetwater. And I want you to go up and, and they, have, they have meetings where they talk about new products and stuff. And he said, the meeting's at 7 o'clock. We'll go up, the meeting's on Tuesday at 7. And we'll go up Monday, probably in the evening and spend the night. And I'm thinking, what are we going to do all day in Fort Wayne? You know, the meeting's at seven o'clock in the evening, and you know, why are we going to go up that early? Fort Wayne's a couple hours from here. We can drive up Tuesday. Mm -hmm. He goes, Oh, no, 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 no. Meeting's at 7 (laughs) a.m. Huh? I haven't seen 7 a.m. unless it's been from the other side in a long time. There's a 7
0: a.m. in the morning.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So he asked me to come up and do this uh, presentation with him and talk about the console. So I literally read the owner's manual in the van on the drive up. God and found out enough about it. I mean, the concepts are all the same. You know, if you know one mixing console, you kind of know them all. You know, there's the mic pre, the EQ, the auxiliary sends, the faders, the bus. Things they do know. and things they don't, yeah, yeah. It's just that they all do the same thing. It's just how they handle it's a little bit different. So I had to get familiar with that. So I did, drove up, came up here. The first meeting that I did with them, uh, there were 24, 25 people in the entire room. That was all of the sales force.
2: Aw, that's Chuck, cute. Chuck was one of them. <laughs> that's cool. So,
1: Yeah, and what is it now? There's about fourteen hundred (laughs) people here something (laughs) like that. Yeah, fourteen or fifty. I think we're close. We're quickly heading to fifteen hundred.
2: How many sales engineers do we have now? Uh, Over three hundred. Three
1: hundred. 30, 350, oh, yeah. something like that. Yeah, it's it's crazy.
2: Walk upstairs before you leave. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's <laughs> nuts. So I got up and started talking about this thing, and um, that was my first introduction to Sweetwater, was that. That
2: would've been on Bass Road.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was on Bass Road, and what they called the Blue Diamond Lounge at that point, and it was, oh. because they had blue RLX on the walls, mm-hmm. and it was, <laughs> <laughs> was diamond shaped, it was the Blue Diamond Lounge, so that was it. So that was my introduction to Sweetwater. I continued to work part-time contract basis for Digitech as I was playing in bands and stuff. Mm-hmm until about 2006. And that was when Digitech decided they were going to offer me a full-time job. And I went, okay, what is it? And they said, well, we're going to get this truck, this semi-trailer, and we're going to load it up with all this Harman gear. And it's going to have a stage on the side and it's going to open up and we're going to pull into the parking lot. You're going to be able to do demos and talk about products and do trainings and all the stuff that you do. And then it's going to fold up and then you're going to drive off and we're going to go hit another one.
2: So you're going to do distributors for this?
1: uh music stores
2: music stores okay yeah. so step so even retailers. further down so Retail. going and doing
1: clinics I, that's what i was doing with digitech as i'd mm-hmm. go around and do you know come see the digitech clinician and talk about the new whatever the gnx recorder or whatever it was at, yeah. the, at the time and i'd play and talk about the product because i knew the technical end of it too and so it was kind of cool i could i could talk about you're a good
2: salesman products. so thank you yeah that's a skill not everybody has you don't always need it, but a lot of times you do.
1: It, it helps some music too. You work yeah. as well. I mean, you know, you well, sell it your runs band. in the family, unfortunately. <laughs> Sorry,
2: Dad. Yeah. He did this with speakers with the with the pile driver. Yeah, when he like established that. For my grandpa. He my mm-hmm. dad was the one that got the pile driver started. So like That's great. we know sales in yes, this family. We do. <laughs> no, it's cool though, and it's needed. It helps people understand the value of like the product or the service you're offering.
1: It does. It's cool. Yeah. They don't know until you tell them. But
2: you had to play too, like yep. okay and demonstrate. So you had to have
1: chops to do this. And they were doing all these signature pedals at the time, you know, the mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix pedal and the Eric Clapton pedal and the Brian May pedal. So I had to learn all these signature licks and play it. I'll never forget. I was in, in one year, the last year I was with Digitech. I played everywhere from Portland, Maine to Portland, Oregon and Darn near every place in between. And one of the tours was with the Jimi Hendrix pedal. Eddie Kramer was directly involved with that. So That's cool. In the development of it so I the first thing that I ever did with Eddie, I'm standing in Portland, Maine at this place that people had come to see this thing and i'm playing through a pedal into two pa speakers with eddie kramer standing next to me playing Jimi hendrix licks and i'm going jimmy's rolling over in his place <laughs> right this, this is awful
0: this is like
2: you could do a really good snl clip with this stuff at some point right <laughs> totally we should do that totally. for like our company party
1: <laughs> well when i knew it was over it was i was at uh, summer NAM in 2000 I believe it was, and then they would just come out with the Brian May pedal, and I learned all the Queen licks that I needed to know for it. And I'm on the, on the little podium. I used to call it the monkey stool, you know, because that's uh, you're the monkey playing the the, playing bo- the parts. <laughs> and their their English uh, director of sales, a guy named Dave, something comes up, and he starts smacking me on the head as I'm playing this stuff. And I'm, all I could think of is the little monkey that, you know, you smack <laughs> it on the head and it starts the going, symbols. Duh, 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 duh. banging the cymbals. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is, I got to figure out something better to do. Got <laughs> <laughs> to make a change. <laughs> so when they offered me this position, I'm like, oh God, okay, that's great. How often do you see this thing being out? Oh, 200 to 250 nights a year. Okay. Been there, done that. I've been on the road with bands. I've done 250 nights a year. I just got married. This I had just married my wife at this point. Sure. And um, I said, so assuming that I'm willing to get a divorce and, you know, and do this, how much does it pay? And they gave me a number and I laughed and I said, no, really, <laughs> what does it pay? And they said, well, that's what it pays, you know, but you get benefits. I said, yeah, my wife, I have benefits through her. So again, why do I want to do this? I'm making more money than this between doing contract work for you, sessions, Mm -hmm. teaching guitar, which I was doing at the time. They just thought you think it was fun. (laughs) Yeah. And so they were like, well, that's it. That's what it's going to be. And this was summer Nam, 2006. So Music Trades had a subscription to that. And I opened it up. And in the back, there was a little one-inch ad that said, Wanted. Midwest product specialist by Roland Corporation. Got nothing to lose. Let's see what they're interested in. I'm a product specialist. I'm in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. What do they want? So I called the number. They said, yeah, send your resume to this email address. And I did. Got on a flight to go to Austin. Summer name was in Austin that year. Got on the plane, landed in Chicago, because that's where my connection was through, and had a voicemail waiting on my phone. Called in. Debbie Parmenter, vice president of HR for Roland. we really like to talk to you. Can you give us a call? Gave her a call, started talking. She goes, So, what do you do for Digitech? Explained it, blah, 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 you know, this, that, and the other. Um, I'm somewhere in the conversation, I mentioned something about Sweetwater. You know, and she goes, Oh, so you're familiar with Sweetwater? So, yeah, very. I've been going up there for, you mm-hmm. know, gosh, 10 years now or better and doing product training and stuff like that with them. And she goes, Oh, well, this is for an in house. Position at Sweetwater. Whoa. Oh, really? Well, that's kind of interesting, you know. Let's talk. She goes, okay. Well, there's a guy at Nam named David Holloway that you need to go talk to and meet him, and he'll be expecting you. And if you guys get a chance to chat, chat, talk about it, we did. They flew me out to LA for formal interviews, and they. Uh, sent me an email and said, uh, we want you to do a demo on a BR600 recorder while you're out there. So you do a demonstration. I said, that's great. Now they neglected to send me a BR600 recorder. <laughs> <laughs> so But that didn't stop me. Just I actually to to a knew store the manager at the local guitar center in Indianapolis. <laughs> and I said, hey man, can I borrow one of these for a couple of days and just put a demo together on it? And he goes, sure. So they let me borrow one. And it had a little memory card that you could store your stuff on. So I put my demo together on it, recorded all this stuff, put it on the card, brought it back, took the card with me to LA. Uh-huh and uh, go there for the, the interview. And they go, hey, so how'd it go? I'm great, yeah, okay. You ready to do your demo on the BR600? I said, sure. They go, well, where is it? I said, you guys never sent me one. And the looks on their faces was like, everybody's looking at everybody else. Well, you were, still, I thought, but, but I said, <laughs> but I have it here. I actually went and got one and I got the demo. So if you can get me one, I'm happy to do the demo on it. You know, and they were like, ah okay (laughs) this guy (laughs) they they were surprised did the demo they were satisfied with that and so the next step was to come here meet with the sweetwater people and make sure that they were okay it It was really funny because you know chuck and i talked about him buying a a volkswagen van the week before that was the interview you know it was like (laughs) i I know these guys i've been coming up here here for 10 years so it wasn't like they were strangers yeah it wasn't a really big interview. We went to have lunch at, oh, what's the Chinese place over, it's where they took everybody for interviews back then.
2: Ching. Yeah. That's Yen where Qing. my family goes. That's oh, weird. I wow. <laughs> just got takeout from there last
0: <laughs> so night. We ate that last night. chicken. <laughs> so
1: we went to Ching for for lunch. So you an uh, and uh, That's weird. Jeff Radke, Vice President of Sales, he keeps coming. Jeff has this interview tactic where he'll ask you the same question three different ways to see if he gets a different answer.
0: Just triangulating you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: Uh, which was funny. Chris Bristol, the guy who was president of Roland at the time, used to be my Roland rep when I worked in a music store in L.A. So I knew Chris, too. And that was funny. And Chris's thing was he would ask you if you watched much TV. And then later on in the interview, he'd ask you how many televisions you have in your house to <laughs> <laughs> see if you were being straight up. I don't watch much TV. Well, I got four TVs in the house, though. So <laughs> <laughs> most of them sit idle most of the time. But Jeff's thing was... He knew that I was a musician. I mean, he knew that I was playing professionally, and I was still doing it at that point. I was still, you know, Mm -hmm. at that point, I was still doing gigs and session work. You've
0: never stopped, have you? No, never really still had in, I take still that doing it the now. first
1: two years that I was here I didn't do anything I actually stopped doing it intentionally so just I started could, yeah I guess, I could, so I could yeah. figure out what the job was and yeah. really focus on that and I just went you know what That's fine I'll get back to it at some point point. and mm-hmm. I did but Jeff asked me this, the, the question and I thought it was great he goes man you're a musician he said you sure you're ready to do the 9 to 5 grind I said yeah Jeff I don't really see it as that you know this is something new for me and I'm, I'm actually getting to the point where you know what I'm doing is becoming the 9 to 5 grind that band had gotten to the point where You could book a gig six months from now, and I could tell you exactly what our set list was going to be. I could tell you exactly how the night was going to go. I could tell you what the Mm -hmm. banner was he was going to say in between the songs. I was so checked out that I would be watching television in the back of the bar and just playing. (laughs) I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't even focusing on it. It'd become routine. And if I had, you know, so Jeff asked me again later, he came back to it and asked me in a slightly different way. And I, again, gave him pretty much the same answer, which was, I haven't seen that, you know. Well, the third time I figured, okay, I got nothing to lose. So my, my reply the third time was, Jeff, if I have to play Mustang Sally or Brown Eyed Girl for one more drunk, I'm gonna lose my mind,
0: man. <laughs> I gotta
1: get out of there. This is going to provide me an opportunity to do something different. And you know, if I do play music again, it's going to be something what that I want that? to do, yeah, and uh, not just playing stuff that I hate just drunk to make, make a check. You know. So he went, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess that makes sense now. So uh, I guess that's cured his curiosity. And we, because
2: uh, that's when I met you. Would have been when you were still working for Rolland. Mm-hmm but right. year, yeah, I remember meeting right. then. So I came yeah. on in
1: 2006, right at the end of 2006 is the second in-house vendor here at Sweetwater. So uh, this Rob McGay was the first one, I was number two.
2: How many do we have now i right uh, 15,
1: yeah, so something assuming. like that, I think. Yeah, it's, there's a lot, so. That's cool. Uh, it was great, and then I got from there did a good job, got promoted to key account manager, so I was running the entire account for Sweetwater. David Holloway left Roland and I took over in his position. The last two years that I was with Roland, I was director of Boss U.S., so I was in charge of the guitar division. They promoted me into management and I was doing marketing and product development, business development, and hitting budget, and attaining goals, and motivating sales managers and all that good stuff. That's did, cool. did that for two years. It was a great gig. I loved it. And the Japanese were awesome. Got to go to Japan four or five times and wow. It was. It was great. It was a blast. So, so. We're,
0: we're going a little over here already, but I want to get to GearFest. Sure. So how did you end up teaching? Like in curls, in yeah. yeah. Well, I left Roland in... Well, two
1: years ago, two I, years ago at Summernam, I resigned that mm-hmm. position because in my position with Roland, I was traveling around meeting with dealers and major dealers, and mm-hmm. I kept hearing Chuck's voice in the back of my head going, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that
1: doesn't seem like something you should do. Why would you do that? You know?" And I realized that I, after you've been here for as long as I've been here, I was spoiled. I couldn't go mm-hmm. anywhere else. I just judged every place by here. And there's no place like here. There's no place that's run like this, that's... that's It's run with a, it's just that they do everything right here. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's kind of the motto. Always do the right thing. And I kept seeing all these other places. So I went to Chuck and told him I was leaving and he said, Oh, I can't even talk to you. You know I don't poach people. So he didn't even talk to me. But mm-hmm. long story short, I left Roland and they asked me to come on as the executive director of the academy and executive director of Gearfest. So
2: two very large commitments, by the oh, way. Like boy. I don't know how you do both of them.
1: Yeah, so we just got many a little bit of a taste of Gearfest. <laughs> I don't know huge. how you do both of them.
2: How many it's... people go through GearFest?
1: Last year it was over fifteen thousand. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god both yeah. days it was crazy and it's going to be even bigger this year and that's the motto always bigger always moving forward, <laughs> always better and it will be so that has been an incredible experience i mean just you know running the academy when they first came to me with this i was like what running an academy why why would i want it? i've been doing sales and marketing and product development and budgeting mm. and then and I, you know and this is well
2: it's kind of all the above well
1: it was but <laughs> yeah it took me about probably 15 seconds to figure out that oh yeah i'm a musician at heart i have a passion for music, music why wouldn't that it yeah. makes total sense chuck has his knack for or they seeing just thought you'd be the only really good at and being
0: able to put them in a position where they can he couldn't deal with the musicians himself he thought maybe you'd have a better luck doing i understand these people <laughs> Yeah.
1: But don't sell chuck short he's actually one yeah he is hell of a he's <laughs> oh, yeah. the guy yeah. is like really good people don't know that. No, they don't. And yeah, yeah I'll, I'll be honest, it surprised me the first time I heard him play. I'm like, whoa, this guy's got some chops. I mean, it's <laughs> it's really because he's has such an analytical mind. You think that the two things, they typically don't coincide. You know, somebody mm-hmm. who's really got that business mind and, and is so analytical typically doesn't create there in the creative realm that well. But Man, he's he does, and it's amazing. So, so yeah, Gear Fest, man. Yeah, tell us about Gear Fest. That's huge. Um, for those of you who don't know, that's a, a two-day event that we have here uh, once a year. That is essentially the largest trade show in the world that's open to the public. It's it's crazy. Certainly in the United States, um, there aren't any bigger than this that are open to the public. Uh, so, like
2: CES isn't considered. It's like not open?
1: open to the public. You have to be a member of CES in order to go. NAM, I gotcha. Okay. And Nam, you have to be in the business either as a a retailer, a distributor, a manufacturer, something like that. A People, target The audience. general public. Just that makes sense. Go. So this is it. And this is exclusively open to the public. So we have uh, educational seminars here. We have you know, many, many artists. Um, just demos. Go to demos, yeah. yeah, doing demonstrations on products. We have them talking about what it's like to be a session musician or what it's like to do this or how they approach certain things. Um, we have a lot of engineers and producers that come to talk about their methods of recording and sometimes just share stories about things that have happened in their careers. And and it's great.
2: Very unique.
1: It is huge. It is. There's nothing else like it. And this was something that everyone in the building and they still do put on in their spare time. So everyone in the building kind of had a hand in it, uh, but there was no one that really was ultimately responsible for it, making sure that everything got done and making sure everything Mm -hmm. uh, was done in the right way and we were moving in the right direction. So that was what Chuck asked me to do is to come in and kind of oversee everything, not do everything but to make sure that everything was being done, that it was getting done in a in a timely fashion and that we were all headed in the right direction and, and keep an eye on costs and, and things like that. But it was really more about making sure it was done correctly and
2: set up a growth model. Yeah.
0: Yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ideas. So,
1: And everyone's still in this building, they all chip in. And it's amazing because as it gets closer and closer you're thinking there's no way we're going to be able to pull this thing off again. Yeah. And everyone comes together every year and it happens. And I had done this for ten years years as a vendor. So from that side of the ball, I knew kind of what was happening. And I think that's another reason why Chuck put me in this is because I can have conversations with vendors on mm-hmm. a level that probably no one else can, because I'm a former vendor and I can know yeah. look, I here's did Here's what this. you need to
2: do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I know what your job okay. is. I did your job and here's what you need to do. And mm-hmm. here's why you need to do it, because, you know, you got to do this. So it's an unbelievable task, but GearFest is amazing. We've already, every year we identify things we can do better. And uh, every year we've been fortunate enough to do it better.
0: So um, is it vendors from all over? the country all over the world to demonstrate people- new technology new equipment and yeah. then you have musicians from all over the place i'm guessing just yes. funnel in here and make a little pilgrimage and see what's over the horizon for people music technology are now planning
1: their vacations in the summer around <laughs> gear fest they're actually saying you know what i'm going to take vacation i'm going go to go to fort wayne indiana mm-hmm. i'm going to camp in the campgrounds out here and i'm going to hang out for two days at i didn't know we had
2: line. campgrounds
1: yeah we've done that for the last two years we actually have tent camping <laughs> and <awesome>. RV camping. <laughs> here so yeah you can come in in your rv or your tent fit your tent and hang out and we have showers and facilities and everything for you so it's uh, it, we've thought of everything it's it's pretty amazing so how much
0: of that stuff ends up in sweetwater's inventory then eventually or, or it already <laughs> is already is uh, well, everything
1: that's here, we sell. None of the vendors mm-hmm. uh, bring anything that we don't sell. So, so that is, okay. that is an edict from us that, you know, okay, if you're going to come and you're going to show stuff, it has to be something we sell. But some of the vendors are actually now announcing new products at, Sweet, at Sweetwater Gear Fest, as opposed to doing it, say, at Summer mm-hmm. Um Some of the vendors this year actually announced products here because it was the week before Summer Nan. So yeah. they got a little advance uh, press on it. And of course, mm-hmm. anyone who's going to announce a product here, we're going to talk about it. Sure. You know, they love it. They get free press and us, you know, talk to our millions of customers and that's not an exaggeration our, our email reach we recently did a, a look at this because I'm putting together a uh, kind of a press kit for gear fest for artists mm-hmm. to let them know what we do and our email reach is somewhere in the neighborhood of three million people <laughs> that's, wow that's, that's a, that's a good contact list <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah so it's uh, it's amazing it's it is a huge undertaking there's no end in sight we're just gonna keep doing it and keep making it better in fact I've already booked two or three acts for uh, artists for um, mm-hmm. GearFest in uh, 2019. And you've
2: here? been growing the academy all this time too. We have a whole new wing. Yep. Are we gonna get a bathroom back here soon? <laughs> that's all I want to know. No, we only ask the, the hard questions.
1: Uh, it's gonna be a No softball questions if you If you notice, they put sales wing. engineers behind you back oh. there, so that's all filled in. But uh,
2: <laughs> our new wing is beautiful, though. Thank you.
1: Well, it's gonna happen again. I think within the next year, year and a half, at the outside, we're gonna be out of room again. It's nice to have those soon. rooms
2: for rock camps, which we didn't mention too, which are really cool that you rock guys camps, do. Fun.
1: Oh, man, that's that's the most fun I get to have at this job. I love doing
0: rock camp. Tell us it's a little cool. bit about it. We're, we're hitting we're getting close to the hour mark. We made a joke before we started the episode about somebody. I knew the he one. Would. The one complaint we had was when we went over an hour. Or so we're doing it again. It's okay. Send your complaints. We like to we hear a lot them. to talk about. You can cut out a
1: lot of this crap. That's, <laughs> that's okay.
0: <laughs> Yeah, Rock
1: Camp. Rock Camp for the Academy is amazing. That's that's what I would have loved somebody to do when I was 12 or 13 years old, and to be able to go do this. And that is one of the first things that I tackled when I got here, because it was something that I knew I could do something to improve immediately. I, in fact, when I uh, came on, John Hopkins said, I, I wanted to take a couple of weeks between jobs just to kind of cleanse the palate and mm-hmm. clear everything out. John Hopkins is... John good. Hopkins is the uh, executive vice president of everything, pretty We've much. Been introduced he's, to him I didn't two know who he actually he's, was. This <laughs> driver Neither- taught me piano. Okay, Go yeah, on, yeah. yeah. And you've told me yeah.
0: a couple of times. So yeah. John is the
1: second in command here. So, and he said, you know, I know you want to take a couple of weeks off. He said, but man, we're getting ready to do rock camp, and you really ought to see this because if you don't see it, you you really won't understand it. And I went okay, so I went straight from summer Nam at Roland. Literally showed up here that Monday mm-hmm. and started in with rock camp and did it. And then I took a couple of weeks later, but it was the best advice I could have been given because, man, unless you see it, you really don't know what it was about. But what I did see is that we were doing it, but we weren't really doing it to the level that we should have. I wanted these kids to feel like rock stars when they walked out of here. And we were doing the performance and, you know, we were doing basically similar things to what we're doing now, but the mood wasn't there. There wasn't the, you know... You guys are rocks. The
2: hype, yeah. yeah. We've really increased that the last couple of years. Yeah. So this, a, yeah,
0: this is kids coming in at various yeah. experience. Yeah, it's like photography
2: and walls now. And then, then you you put them together into and...
0: a band, right? And then they they practice a we song have... or two, or
2: they learn an original. They write an original, and they yeah. learn two covers. I've coached it for a couple of years. They yeah. let me yeah. do this,
0: and then yeah. they do a performance at the end of the camp. They record in the studio. Yep. They
2: record in the studio. That's
1: they record cool. their original song in the studio. They get a CD after it's done. They get yeah. videos, performance, and in, in the theater. But but the, the lighting in the theater was pretty minimal and dismal when I got here. You know, when they walked into the room, There's initially, no there was no <laughs> nothing going on. We put up a merch table and got them. Swag with T-shirts and tuners and this <laughs> and that Stickers.
2: and, yeah. and yeah. gave
1: them badges, you know, backstage passes yeah. so that they got in. And you know, th- I started having the instructors do a song mm-hmm. when they come in. You know, they walk in because they don't know these kids are coming in. There are thirty of them there to potentially the maximum, and they walk in and they think, well, why should I listen to you? Well, I wanted to show why they should listen to them. You mm-hmm. know, I wanted them to get up, play in a band. You know, show them what you guys can do. You made us do our homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For Party homework your students. Yeah, fun. You did awesome on that, by the way. It's that fun. was a great song, great selection, and you guys nailed it. It was it's fun. Yeah, it was. They did uh, cool. Band on the Run. Oh, yeah.
2: Who were did no, Love Not Die? That's
1: right. That. I remember you were it. I know it was one of the epic Paul McCartney songs. It was like, you know, she did that, the Bond was, movie. Yeah, that's tough, <laughs> man. There's like tempo changes. and meter someone changes Someone else was
2: supposed to sing it. We were going to sing it, and then you made me sing. It was fun. It's just cool. The whole thing is neat. It's kind of like pushes people to try things they haven't done. Instructors, too. You yeah. know, not just the kids like it's you got to have fun, but you got to get them ready in a week, you know, so you it's, it's really cool. But he's grown it a lot the last two years. It's been fun.
1: It has been. It's been great. And they come in on Monday and they're all looking at each other like, who know,
2: are you? I, mean,
1: <laughs> I had to talk to a couple of them off the ledge because they're going, I can't do this. I got to go home. I'm I'm scared to death. I yeah. had a bass player last year or this past summer that was just scared to death. And he was
0: yeah, literally ready, but he conquered ready to bolt. It. He conquered his fear. Talked to him and said, well, whoa, 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 hold on.
1: Just give it a day, man. Let's let's see where this goes. And he by the end of the week, it's the same story. His hair had grown. I'm out. coming back. His head banging. They, yes. yeah, the <laughs> level of confidence that it takes them from two is just amazing. You know, they come in here going, yeah, I, don't I, do I don't know if I can do this, I don't know if I can do this and then they leave going, I can't wait to do this again. This is awesome. Yeah. So
0: do we do this every year? <laughs> yeah.
2: We end up with a lot of them in the academy, which is cool, too, then, you know, yeah. so we get to see the kids. And- well,
1: they actually go into our build a band program, yeah. a lot of them, the local ones. You know, we have kids coming away from as far away as Colorado, New Jersey, for, for Rock Camp, and they're they're staying here in Fort Wayne, and Mom and Dad are staying at a hotel, and the kid gets to go to Rock Camp all week, so it's it's wonderful.
2: Lucky then they get to stay in Fort Wayne.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they do. It's getting cooler now here, so. Well, actually, now they stay, most of them stay over at the guest house in the sweet suites, you know, with the themes, you know. I, don't know if you've I haven't seen this. Like uh-huh. It's pretty good. They got an Elvis room. and Oh. A- Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, it's all themed rooms and kinda of cool. It's kinda fun. But more, it's more it is it's, it's great. Seeing those kids and the change that, that happens in those kids is just and the most just amazing it. thing. Every year there's there's a week or two when you're going there's a band or two and you're going, Oh
0: they're not gonna make it. They're not gonna make it. <laughs> I had oh, that band this man, <laughs> they're not gonna make it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I actually heard heard a little bit of the, the kid's office a that few times
2: this week.
1: No. And invariably they somehow pull it they together. Do. Yeah, and it's
0: just like it so good.
2: Some of us pray a lot though, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we cheer really hard and we pray too. Yep. where can people go to find out where you're playing with your bands like with, um, with the sweetwater all-stars or with expanding man
1: yeah with sweetwater all-stars or expanding man if you go to facebook the sweetwater all-stars have the facebook page and we always post where we're playing on there the next gig that i know that we have coming up i don't know when this is going to air but there's one the end of october at hall's guest house but we'll get it before then yeah in november we're going to open up for tower power at the clyde theater oh cool um, which we did couple of years ago maybe three years ago at the embassy Mm -hmm. and that man if you haven't seen those guys you gotta come see them they're amazing and you get to see the sweetwater all-stars at the same time which is that my band i kind of took a little hiatus through the summer because of everything that was going on with gear fest i had a lot of gigs with uh, the all-stars and all of that but uh, i'm slowly getting back into it we've got a Gig at Joseph DeQuiz in October. And I think I'm pronouncing that correctly.
0: I don't know. I've heard is the S silent? Right? I don't know. I've heard both ways. I think, it's ways. I, think it's, I, I
1: talked yeah. to the people that owned it. And they said it was DeQuiz. They could have been messing with me too. But what is that? BB <laughs> King says, nobody loves me but my mama. And even she could be jiving. So. <laughs> so that's the BB <laughs> King thing. Okay. Um,
0: one quick question before we finish this. Where would you put Fort Wayne in the overall national music scene? Because you've been all over. You've seen oh it boy. all. You still travel a lot, it sounds like. And you're talking talking about Gear Fest being the biggest mm-hmm. trade show that open to the public. So what do you think of Fort Wayne? Oh, we're pulling in people from Nashville, it sounds like. Yep. and We've got Sweetwater. It's a huge institution. Now we've got well, Purdue. There's, there's a couple of different elements to
1: that. There's the people that are coming in from the outside that are doing this and coming through here with tours and things like that. But then there's the actual grassroots music scene here. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say on a per capita basis, there's probably more talent here than I've seen in, man, a lot of places. I think you'd probably have to go to someplace like Austin, Texas to find this much talent it, you know, per, wow. per capita. Yeah. There's some incredibly talented musicians and bands around here. And I think part of that's driven by Sweetwater and they attract some of these people. But I think a lot of them were already here, too. I mean, people like Alicia and Eric Clancy and mm-hmm. Tim Beal. There's a and,
2: couple you know, and, pools, is what you're saying. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, it's and,
2: interesting uh, to see them like that's what I keep talking about. The more we do these podcasts, is seeing those two pools kind of like merge. combine.
1: And it's great <laughs> because you used to have the jazzers and then yeah. the rockers, you know, yeah. and it's getting so that it's. And the classicists. A
2: lot of blur. And a lot of it's now kind of. I think Sweetwater is a big plus for that though and it's wonderful and it can to see
1: be. that because that's where in my opinion some of the best music ever created has come from is taking different elements and, and putting them into things that you normally wouldn't think to do but no there's some incredibly gifted musicians in this town I, I feel lucky to be a part of it it took me a long time to break into it even when i started playing again here it took me a few years before anybody even would pay any attention to me because the competition quite yeah. honestly is that fierce you know mm-hmm. you really have to stay at it and and be good and we have to
2: know to people too. And that's what we're trying to do with Pile Style is help people meet each other yeah. and help people network and like meet people to play with. And I, ho- I hope to see that change personally. That is mean, not as hard because I've heard from meet other the people
0: behind the venues too and yeah. know where you can play But I mean, and like the people that
2: move here for Sweetwater not knowing where can I play or like yeah. where is my seat si- for what I do, where does that fit, you know, and stuff. I hope to see that not take two or three years sometime soon.
1: Well, when you told me what you were doing with Pile Style, I, I think you remember I was like, yes, thank goodness. Hopefully Why we like do it right. Somebody's doing this. <laughs> We're trying. Somebody has to. There, Because people ask me, you know, who, who do you go to to find out about this stuff? Who can you go to to talk about booking gigs? And, you know, mm-hmm. where are their places to play? And what's the scene like? Who are the people in it? And it's just kind of like I had to just meet people and yeah. kind of do it. And to have you it now It takes on a board. long
2: time, though, sometimes. And, you know, I, and I think a lot of these musicians that move into town want to play now. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to meet people and, like, gig and mm-hmm. sit in someone's band or just, like, it's-, it's
1: a lot easier now than it was when I moved here. In fact, Fort Wayne's a different place than when I moved here originally. Um, when I got here in 2000 six, Karen and I went to West Central because we're always attracted to older homes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we'd seen some apartments in West Central and we wanted to rent a place before we bought a place up here and just kind of see how it went. And we went to uh, we know a little bit about West Central. We made <laughs> <in> West Central. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Went downtown, saw some really cool places. Couldn't believe how cheap it was. We were going, wow, it's amazing. They yeah. place really cheap. But we were at uh, the corner where Jimmy John's is now. There used to be a coffee shop there. And we thought, okay, well, we'll stop in here. And it was around the end of the day. It was about five o'clock and they were literally wiping the counters and closing up. And it Five oh five, the tumbleweeds roll down the street. <laughs> it's like, whoa. whoa, wait a minute, what are we doing? Are we, is this really? I don't know. The
0: get out of downtown after five. <laughs> yeah, there was nothing down there. I mean, and Slice was
1: there, and uh, what's the place Dash Dashian was yeah. there, but man, they were still smoking in there. Mm-hmm. They closed up at five o'clock, and you know they weren't open on Sundays, and they weren't open. It was just there's nothing
0: going on. They're down making down. a big push to develop downtown, and it's it's working. You can oh, see and it, it's and it's, it's all there's all kinds of places the to go, and all kinds of. This place from
1: the time we moved here till now is like astounding. It's unbelievable. So <laughs> it is. And, it, and I'm all for it. And I think it's wonderful. And we need to keep doing it. And we need to keep moving. The electric works thing yeah. got to happen. Man. It's mm-hmm. got to happen. If that happens, that's going to be the tipping point that's going to push it all over the edge. And man, Fort Wayne is going to be, you know, another Charlotte or another, you know, another I'm small about cool that. town yeah. that, you know, came out of nowhere that everybody thought, oh man, that was a podunk town. And it's all of a sudden, it's this so on the map, on the map, this brilliant. Really brilliant arts community and yeah. music and and all of these things and with great old architecture and you know a, a, an eye for preservation of the city and things. I just think it's wonderful and I'm I'm really happy to be here and see it happen. Hopefully well, be a small part of it.
0: On that note, we'll wrap it up. We're going way over now. So. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. a great interview. So, yeah, thank, you thank you for you making Bob. time for us.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you.
0: I appreciate it's it. Fun. I had fun doing it. And thanks everyone for listening. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you're on the blog, just go down and you can subscribe, type your email in the little box down there and we'll see you next time. Thank you.